Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after 11 years coaching competitive volleyball and as a head coach of a college team, I've become obsessed with helping athletes and coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to train efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I've created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 49 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. Hope you guys are doing well wherever you are listening around the world. Uh, you know, I'm in Canada. We got some great weather this week, which is kind of nice. And I mean, if you're in the U.S. or other warm parts, you've been having nice weather for a long time anyway. So I'm now getting to enjoy some of that. So welcome to the pod. Welcome for another episode. Uh, I'm so excited to get into this one uh, for you. But before we get started, just want to welcome our new listeners. If you're a new listener to the pod, welcome. What, what took you so long? You got about, let's see, 48 episodes to get caught up on. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of knowledge, a lot of value that you can do. We've had a, a lot of ton of coaches, a ton of players, a ton of my own philosophies and strategies of the game. So Welcome. I, I look forward to having you guys, uh, jo- like, I guess, binge, binge listen to some of those episodes. And if you are a regular listener, you already know I appreciate you guys coming on and listening to another episode. Uh, we've been getting a lot more reviews and ratings on the pod, so I, I appreciate that from everyone around the world. I've got a chance to read some of the reviews on here. It's been it's been pretty phenomenal, and um, I appreciate the feedback. And you know, like I said, the, the reviews are for two things. One, so that I know how you guys think about the pod, and two... Um, for us to get ranked higher, because the higher we're ranked, the more people we can reach. And funny enough, in the month of a- uh, April and May, we have been uh, the top-ranked volleyball podcast um, on Apple and Spotify. And I think I dropped a couple ratings. I think like, we were like second and third for a bit. We've been top three consistently for, for weeks. So that's really cool. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. I thank everybody out there listening. And our downloads have been going up significantly. Um, we're reaching, we're in over, I think, about 120 different countries now. So guys, just, just want to reach out and thank you all for, for tuning in. And I hope that I can continue to deliver value to you guys. And you can take what you learn from this podcast and apply it to your gym, no matter where you are around the world. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, uh, I just want to remind you, last week we were we had um, the men's head coach, uh, our Canadian men's national team head coach, he's also the uh, professional coach in Turkey, and he was on here last week and we had a great conversation, um, and if you're a coach out there, it's an episode you definitely, definitely do not want to miss. Uh, we literally went through all the positions of the game and you know what he looks for, and we talked about practice planning and game planning and how he sets up his season. And it's such a, it, it, I mean, I took notes, so it's a really great. And I mean, he's he's one of the best volleyball minds in the world, not just in our country, but in the world. Yes, he's the you know the head coach of our men's national team, but uh, you know there's there's a couple of people when I think of volleyball geniuses, I think of my mentor John Spira, right? I think of um, a couple. I, I think of John Kessel, all right, and and Glenn Hogue is definitely up there in terms of volleyball geniuses. The guy is a machine. So listen to that episode. I'm I, I think you'll definitely like it. And he shared some thoughts that I share with you guys all the time too. So it's good, you know, in terms of um, reinforcing some of the things we talk about on the pod. Okay, I've been talking for too long now. Let's get into this episode. So I'm excited <laughs> today. Uh, we have a, we have a really special guest, and this guest actually has created a really really cool, as you can see in the podcast title the five set practice plan. And uh, I'm not going to talk too much about it because I want her to talk about it. But basically, one of the problems we as coaches face on a regular basis is how do we convert practice performance 
to gain performance. How many coaches out there, and I want you to be honest, how many coaches out there, you know, your team will perform really well in practice, but then when it comes to a game, it's, it's a different ball game. You, you see a different team, you know, a whole bunch of different things happen. And it's not what you saw in practice. And this is a challenge that coaches face all the time. So I've actually addressed this uh, in, uh, in episode 39 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. So go listen to episode 39 because I've talked about this in detail of what we've done. Um, but I also got, I got a chance to learn a, a new way, and this is the five-step practice plan. And this came and was created uh, by a coach, Tamika Newman, who I'm excited to welcome to the pod today to talk about this five-step practice plan. So Tamika, welcome to the pod. How are you? Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. Speaking of uh, delivering content and adding value, I've been wa binge watched your uh, podcast uh, the, since the beginning of the year, and Great. man, added so much value. I've passed it on to others that are in my network, and I'm excited to be here. And I hope that I can add some value today um, to your listeners. Uh, so I'm I'm excited. I'm over the moon. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that, Tamika. And yo, this is this is great. Like when you reached out and sent me this five step practice plan, at, at the beginning, I was like, okay, you know, I first of all, I'm always willing to learn new things. So for every coach out there, I, I am always willing to learn new things because that's the only way we can grow and, and get make, make this game better. So it was interesting how you addressed this problem of you know performing in practice versus performing in a game, and how you actually created a a, a five step practice plan. So before we get into that plan, um. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, you know, who you are, what you do, where you coach, et cetera? Hi, so I'm from Houston, Texas. Um, one of five kids born to my mother, was raised by my grandparents, fell in love with sports, initially with basketball when the WNBA was created. Right. Um, Houston had the, the best team at the time. We won the first four league championships. Um, and it was just exciting, but I was like, wow, these girls are playing basketball for a living. You can do this, you make money. And then the summer of 2000, the Olympic team, um, volleyball wasn't big in my area. You could pick up a basketball almost anywhere, but you couldn't pick up a volleyball outside of a church picnic. Uh, and to be honest, the thing that caught my eye was that team that year, um, it was my first time seeing it organized, and I saw African-American women on that team. I want to say there were three or four. Uh, that caught my caught my eye that, wow, that's another career option. And then just fell in love with sports. I was a poor kid, low-resource kid. Um, so started in middle school. I got to be about 5'9 in the eighth grade. So the height I am now is this height in like seventh or eighth grade. Oh, wow. Yeah, and made the C team for volleyball. I had no idea what I was doing. My, you know, my feet were goofy because I got tall so fast. Uh, and then spent the summer kind of teaching myself the approach anywhere that I could do it, that or a block jump, I did it. So in the grocery store, up the driveway, in the hallway, in the kitchen, uh, I became fascinated with the footwork. And that was kind of a trend for me. I was a post player in basketball, undersized, great footwork. I was a discus thrower. Again, great foot we, requires great footwork. Um, so really bought into the idea that I wasn't the fastest, I wasn't the strongest, but God, I, can I master footwork? And earned a scholarship 
I had this crazy idea that I could get to sports late and then have the audacity to dream as big as wanting to play basketball in college. And I did that here at the small school, which is where I work now, Prairie View A&M. And it's outside of Houston on your way to Texas A&M. We're also part of the Texas A&M system. And I came here and I did that uh, so, sir, for two what, years. What did you I, play? What did you play? I played basketball and volleyball. Basketball. What was your scholarship for? Uh, both. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're, they're one of the only schools willing to do that for me, uh, along with a couple of um, a junior college down the road from here and then a school in Central Texas. So I chose here. It was about a 50-minute drive from my house. And two years, I did both sports. And then you know what? It caught up to me. Um, so number one, I think I had a really high upside because I was a multi-sport athlete. Um, and so at 20 years old, I decided to specialize. And the very next season in volleyball, we won the conference. Um, I moved positions. I moved from a middle to an outside. Um, by now, I could really, really jump. <laughs> it was a lot stronger, a lot smarter. And we the following year, my senior year, I was player of the year. Um, and then I rolled that into a coaching career for the last 14 years. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Yeah, no, that's great. I like the, the, the two sport athlete or the multi-sport athlete rather. Yeah. 100%. yeah. I love when I have multi-sport athletes, uh, come into our gym. It, it's great because there's, it's so much easier to teach them certain skills. Uh, they, oh, they, yeah. they just get it. Uh, but that that's, that's phenomenal. So how did you, how did you manage to go from player to coach? Oh, I went to graduate school because I graduated in the middle of the recession in 2008. There were no jobs. Yep. Um, my goal was to be a sports reporter. And due to playing two sports and just being super busy, I didn't do many internships. I did one internship right at the end of senior year at a radio station and realized I didn't like sports radio. Got very discouraged. Went back to school to get my master's. And was a basketball uh, graduate assistant because that was what was available. Mm -hmm. And I started working at a charter school just after school or whenever I had time. And I took a kid home one day. I realized the kid was living in a home with no uh, electricity, no plumbing. And decided that although that wasn't my story, I did grow up in a low resource area. This was way beyond anything I could imagine. Right. That I'm, I think I'm going to go in education and be a coach and I'm going to stand in the gap for kids that are less than I'm going to help them use sports as a vehicle to change their life and graduated with my master's in business and went to become a teacher. Nice. <laughs> and yeah. I coached for 10 years um, in the suburbs of Houston volleyball which is pretty high level and, and serious. It's insane. And I coached club for 12 years. Coach club for 12 years. I just stopped coaching club when I took this job because of the NCAA rules. Um, and I've been here now back in my alma mater for two years, two years. The head coach was my teammate. She and I both are in the Hall of Fame here at Prairie View. We were both on that championship team and we were trying to return the school back to its, you know, prominence the program back to its prominence. I had sent some high school kids over the years here. Um, so it's definitely still in connect, you know, connected to the program. Um, and then I, I like I attended AVCA every year. Um, 
I was very much so connected to the college game, but really only to be the best high school coach that I could be. I didn't have a goal of going to coach college at all. Right. Um, I would sit in on recruiting just so I could tell my kids what a recruiter was looking for. You know, I'd sit in on um, breaking down a match. You know, they break down the championship match or the semifinal match. I was sitting in on that stuff just to be the best where I was, uh, to be honest. And that's really what this plant practice plan was all about is um, we were already decent. We were already good. I had kids that were, were, were training outside of the program. Um, kids that they had the look they were going to go play in college, you know. But I was trying to be as best as I could there and close the gap for the kids who I was at a school that had kids who were very affluent and then there were kids who weren't so affluent. And I had the task of, you know, getting them to this this place, you know, bringing the other kids up without bringing the other kids down. Right. And it was like, it was a huge task. And so right. um, the kids that were super bright, but hadn't played as much, they enjoyed a framework that right. they were able to catch up um, to the other kids, but we'll right. get into that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's crazy. That's a great story. Well, yeah. And the game is better to have you in it, to be quite honest. That's amazing. So Thank let's you. talk about this uh, five-step planning process or sorry, the five-step practice plan rather. Um, so this was your solution to the problem where, you know, athletes or coaches face all the time where an athlete uh, can play great in practice or we may have great practices, but it doesn't translate into a game. So I'm going to leave you with the floor. You can, you can start wherever you want and let, let's, let's say Educate our audience of your uh, five-set practice plan. Okay. Uh, just stop me when you need to. Yeah. Um, so the, the 2016, I was perplexed, like you said, by my team's inability to transfer what we learned in practice and how they performed in practice to a match. Um, like I said, we were talented. Um, kids have been playing for a while. Um some of them were what I call those kids that are really great at drills, right? Right. It looked really, really good at practice. And the issue was I was a coach that loved drills. I loved it to be nice, neat, and pretty, right? <laughs> this was this was 10, 12 years. Well, this was a while ago. I was like that. But anyway, um, and uh, so I was, I had a false sense of confidence in how well I had prepared them as well as them, right? And so there was a mindset shift I had to have with myself. And then, so I asked myself a couple of questions. Um, do we start practice too slow? Did we waste time transitioning from drill to drill? I'm a time Nazi. So the first thing I checked was how was I using time? Were kids sitting out of drills and scrimmages too long? Were the drills game-like? Did I put them in various situations that mimic the game? Did I coach up every skill and address small details, which is huge? Was I teaching in a way that addressed every learning style? And do my athletes understand the why for my offensive and defensive philosophies? So I answered those questions and... I could answer yes to most of them. Um, could I have improved in, there, in those areas? Absolutely. But I generally um, could answer yes. So from that, I decided to. Then the issue was that I think it was number five. Did I put them in various situations that mimic the game? 
So I realized that was a great place to start, that I, I could start there and then I would get to the other things. So I did a little bit of research and some of this stuff has probably changed, to be honest. I created this in 2016, 2015. So I probably used trends from 2014, 2015. So the first thing I decided, I learned was that a set to 25 lasts between 18 and 22 minutes. Um, at the time, and this has probably changed, a rally could last between 6 and 13 seconds, 30 seconds in rare cases. The break in between, between rallies is 10 to 15 seconds. That's from whist a whistle ending the play to a whistle beckoning the next serve. And then the timeouts accounted for 60 to 90 second breaks. So those first five things, I use those to modify the way in which I trained even the non-volleyball stuff, right? If we did circuits, I adjusted it to 30 seconds is long. If, if, if from the research, 30 seconds of paying attention, doing something right, 30 seconds is rare in our sport, right? So I just use that to adjust some of the training styles. Um, even with the 18 to 22 minutes, I used to hear the, the saying that don't train or make a drill longer than the age group, right? Interesting. Um, and so that stuff kind of helped me with my training. And I started that stuff right away in the off season using those numbers to adjust and really talking to my kids about, I need your attention for 15 seconds. You need to execute this for 15 seconds, 30 seconds, you know, max. Um, and that worked really well in terms of dealing with the attention span issues that we were dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, and so getting to the sets. Oh, wow. My computer. Oh, getting to the sets. Um, first sets are, are won by the team the most mentally focused. And where I was going with that was the team that had the least unforced errors. Um, Misserves, ball handling errors, hitting errors, in the net calls, foot faults. Um, and I, I, I'll add to that, I thought that that was true even if one team came in the match, ranked higher, had more weapons, um, that in the event that the team that didn't have all those rankings and didn't have all those accolades coming in that many weapons on paper, that was generally how they'd sneak the first set win when you came in definitely as the underdog. I thought that was important. And I used to preach to my kids that, hey, we're going to play this team. I know it says they're number one and, you know, we're number five and they're dominant. They've got this all-star kid, this all-star kid, but they have to come and take it. Right. That's my thing. You can play somebody better. Um, you can play somebody not as good, but you still have to take it. And my my thought process with them was we can't give it away. And committing on forced errors, to me, is giving the set away. Um, right. So, so sorry. So what you're saying is because that you, you actually addressed one of the points I was going to bring up is, um, you know, when you say first sets are win by the team that's more mentally focused. So you're saying regardless of whether a team has better players than you, more talented players than you, if you can minimize your unforced errors, such as misserves, ball handling errors, hitting errors, net calls, etc. There's a there's a good chance that you could win that first set. Is that what you're saying? Correct, correct. That that is where I was going with them at the time. We were in a in a league with the team that was number one in the state most years, and even one year was number one in the nation, ranked by USA Today. So 
uh, that was the thought process I wanted them to go in with. Hey, it doesn't matter what people are saying. If we can go in and control these things, the first set, there's a chance that we catch this team coming in not as focused as they should be. Yeah, you know what? That's a good point because I'm, I'm, re I'm relating it to, to games that we've played where we've beaten um, top teams. Now, I think this is, I think for me, now, correct me if I'm wrong, I think 90% 90, 90 of the time this could be, this could actually work out. I think there are, there is like maybe a 10 to 15% where, you know, you play against a really talented team, you're going to lose because they're just, you know, if you're, yeah, if you're, if you're all five foot players and they're all above six feet and, you know, they, they play at a really, really high level, there's only so much you can do. Having said that, I think that with this, you're always going to put yourself in a good position to win that first set. And I think, I think it's a really good point. The first set, um, if you come in more prepared, more mentally focused and, and just, you know, ready to go, right. You're you're dialed in and you have a good preparation prior to that match. Yeah. I think 100% you could win that first set just based on what you just described here. So yeah, great point. Absolutely. And, and back to the mentally focused, if you are the first team to commit the first one or two errors, also referring to the team that can come back from that, right? Because you, you can may come in, there's a tough team, but this is the first time they've committed the first two errors, right? Um, and if they're not able to come back from that, that's going to be exposed that game, right? So that's kind of where I was going with that. Right. Um, set two. And we know set two is all about adjustments. Uh, we've seen what they have and how they match up against us. Because there's some games you go into and – Again, a team looks better on paper, but once you start playing, you match up a lot better than you thought. Um, so it's all about adjustments. And so some of the adjustments, um, I think about me, some of the adjustments I make. Obviously, um, the serving the serving lineup maybe adjust, um, which rotation you start in. Um, where am I? Do, 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 do. Um, change my serving strategy. Uh, maybe I've been going a lot of one. Maybe I've gone a lot of five. Maybe I've been going short. So I change. I, I always reevaluate my serving strategy. Um, switch matchups. Maybe I switch my M1 and M2. Uh, maybe my M1 needs to go against the weaker blocker or vice versa. So set two is about adjustments. And I don't get extremely specific. I really, really want coaches to really think about what's going to work at their level in their league and with their talent. So I think set two, I talk about, did you want me to go into the, the actual? It's up to you. Okay. I talk about, you know, one of the parameters for set two would be you're scrimmaging six on six, regular scoring, uh, servers must serve zone one and one or five. Maybe your team served the libero way too much, right? And for that particular set, when you come in a set two, you would, anytime a team serves a libero, you continue play, but the other team would, get, say, get a point. Um, say we went outside too much. It's super predictable. They're the middle is cheating over there. We've got to make some changes. I might set a rule that outside hitters can't be set that set. So if an outside... Sorry to, sorry to cut you off. Is, so is this what we're doing in, in the middle of a game, or is this a practice that you're describing right now? I am. I was talking about trends in a game, but I am now talking about um, what the practice panel would look like. What okay. it would look 
Oh, okay, you know so, what? I shouldn't get to that. That'll be a yeah. Don't get to that. Let's get just continue <laughs> with the points, and then we'll, we'll get to that after. But I yeah, guess yeah. I saw where you're going with that. Okay. Can, yeah, yes. Continue. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. You're right. Yeah, okay. Okay. Back to games. Third sets. Third sets are won by teams to lock well and serve receive the best. Where I was going with that was blocking's kind of um, a momentum changer. Stuff blocks. Um, yeah, they tend to change the momentum of the game. Um, and so I was encouraging, my point was to encourage my kids that if we could do that well, we were going to be winning the mental game. We we're going to be wearing a team down. It was going to make our job easier. And then serve receiving well, we determined that gives you four options, gives you four options. And so for a third set, which at some levels is final, um, I thought having four four options would, if a team was wore down physically, kids might start cheating, blocks might start floating, um, people might start guessing that having consistent four options would give you a better chance at, you know, getting one-on-one situations and getting a kill. Right. I'm, I'm a little biased here. I'm going to say serve receiving is important for every set. Like I, I'm huge on serve reception, but I, yes. do, understand, I do understand that if you serve, if you serve receive even better later in the sets, like the third set, for example, when the other team is tired and guessing, like you described, and maybe not, you know, cheating and stuff like that, you're now going to continue to put yourself in an even better position to score with the one on ones and one on nothing. So, yeah, yes, I, I want to reiterate that um, a lot of the concepts I talk about are important every set. Um, my goal was to get narrow my kids' focus on right. some things I believe would give us a better chance. Yeah. So great point. I'm glad you said that. I know that's the question most, most coaches are going to have. Am I saying this isn't important the other sets? Absolutely not. Um, fourth sets were won by teams who were disciplined, did, teams that didn't cheat off their base, uh, um, teams that continue calling the ball, communicating with their team, and that for that set, coaches can get super creative about how to how to stat that. How um, uh, fifth sets were won very similar to to third sets because I know in the club club ball here third sets are final. College is yep. five, yeah. and high school is five. Um, and so kids are having to get used to going back and forth between the levels here. I'm not sure how it is in Canada. <laughs> Nope, nope, yep. And so there, we're going back to this is the final set. This is a shorter set because it's to 15. I go back to those mental skills, right? Making a mistake and getting over it fast, not making um, those unforced errors, especially things like serving errors, right? Serving in the yep. net, super mental. Um, so again, serve, receiving, and blocking well was paramount. Um, and then committing less unforced errors. Um, and then I have having great on-court chemistry and showing grit. And those are just conversation pieces to talk to, to your kids about. So that's some of the stuff I got from my research when I looked at, at my level. And, and I know coaches can add so much to that. And that's really what I'm excited about. I'd much rather talk about what coaches can add to this than some of the other minuscule arguments we, we, we talk about in the volleyball community. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. So this was research based on like, so how did you conduct the research to find all these, uh, all these points out? 
So the first five things I mentioned, that's that's all internet, right? Yeah. That's whatever information research had been done up to that point. Then the others, I would say the last five points were things that I noticed as a club coach and as a high school coach at my level. And I would say I was pretty high level club. And then for high schools, I was I was up there, kids that have been playing since they were 10, um, okay. that kind of deal. So those were some of the things that I saw at my level. And so what could you add? <laughs> could I add anything to that off the top of my head? Uh, I, I The only thing I... Um... See, I don't, I wouldn't know based on like, I, I do agree with the first set. The first set is a, is a definitely a, a mental focus set. 100%. You can catch a team off guard. That's not prepared. Um, and you could, you could easily steal a first set if you're a, a lower tier team in terms of facts. Like I have, I, I won't have facts, but what I do, like things that will support this for me is preparation, like game mm -hmm. preparation, I, I think is so important. Um, regardless of the level that you're at, it, it's, it's like, it's night and day. So from, can you add, I add another device. Can you, oh yeah, sure. My computers so for, um, you know, for game preparation, uh, like, you know, statting the team before you play them or scouting the team before you play them, um, understanding tendencies, sorry, there's feedback on, ah, there we go. There understanding, we go understanding tendencies, you know, understanding what the other team likes to do, what their strengths are, what their, what their weaknesses are, um, knowing matchups. Uh, like there's so many things for me that go into that aspect of the game um, that could be looked into a bit more. And I, I wholeheartedly believe that there's a huge correlation from winning to game preparation. Uh, so that'd be the only thing that I, I would add to this is, is the game prep. Um, but besides that, like, I mean, facts are facts, research is research. So this is a really, really interesting um, that, you know, you, you found certain commonalities with sets and, and, and how it works. And I, I really like the, uh, you know, a set typically is 18 to 22 minutes. A rally can last between six and 13 seconds. That's really interesting. Um, and, and, I, and I know you're going to go into this a little bit later about how you structured your practice based on that. So anyways, I'll let you continue with, uh, with your five-step plan. Okay. Okay, so there was a few ways when I did this, I realized, and you and I talked about it. There's some some things. There's some prior knowledge kids have had got to have some prior skill they've got to come with to be able to even start thinking about how to win a set. Right? There's some process things that have to happen, and so I wanted to give two options, and the first was. This thing can be done, well, the first is this thing can be done literally after you warm up, whatever your warm up is. This can be done as an actual, you know, game or scrimmage, a five set scrimmage in your practice with these different parameters based on some of the research that I found or some of the things that I talk about that help you win a set. You can just do drills and skills training. Um, based on those those things. So for set one, remember I talked about teams the most mentally focused, less than forced errors, um, and so on and so forth. So the first way you can use it is the first 20 minutes of your practice, because this set's 20 minutes. Um, each set is going to be 20 minutes. There's going to be an opportunity for you to take two 60-second timeouts 
And a three-minute break between sets is accounted for in the whole timing of this thing. So what you're doing so, is you're, you're setting up your practice with the parameters of a game. So correct. So after you do your warm-up and practice, we are now entering the first set of practice. Absolutely. All absolutely. Right. So Got you it. wanted to do whatever ball handling, maybe hitting drills, hitting lines, whatever you do. Um, and you can do a combination of doing option one, you know, um, two or three days before a match and doing option two, which is the actual five set scrimmage, you know, the day before a match. So for the first, for the first, um, for the first set, option one is you would do drills where you work on hitting. At the very basic level, you work on point scoring skills, serving and hitting. You're working with little kids and you're not you're definitely not ready to get to talking about a set. This this would get you in the mind frame of, you know, this would give you um, just a framework of what order you progress in. And I already did that as a coach as I work on point scoring skills, right? So option one, 20 minutes, drills on point scoring skills. Depending on how advanced you are, you start adding in some goals and give it, give it a numbering system, right? When you score, you get this. When you don't score, whatever. But option two, the six-on-six six scrimmage. Um, and this could be your first six versus your second six, or I like to um, intermingle it so they're playing best on best. Um, my best right side blocking my best outside. Just depends. So in, within that set is regular scoring rules. Here's the only parameters. For hitting errors, the other team gets two points. For miss serves, the other team gets two points. For double contact and in the net calls, the other team gets two points. So all enforced errors, other team gets two points. Um, and like I said, for me, I thought that was a great indication of who was mentally prepared, uh, more mentally prepared for, for the set, for the match. Um, let's see. So interesting. So, so let, let's just recap quickly. So this, okay. you know, the, the ideal of, of this practice plan is, is we're going to mimic a five-set match to the best okay. of our ability, to what we can. And when you're doing this, you come to practice, you have your warm-up, and after your warm-up, you have a choice of doing one of two things. You, if, if this is you know, well before a match, which you're not, you know, you're not getting ready for a match right away, you could do whatever drill that, you're, that your team wants to work us on as long as it's a scoring-based drill. Um, is that right? So you're, you're, you're using it as score points, right? So if it's a hitting drill or whatever the case is. Or option two is you will actually set up, set up a six-on-six six match um, with your team, and you have a point system where you award points uh, for various things, such as if you have a hitting error, you're going to award a point to the other team. In fact, I think you have two points that are being awarded to the other team for hitting errors, miss serves, double contacts, net calls, basically any kind of unforced error that you've done. Is that right? Correct. So Correct. What, I like about, what I like about this is there's a couple of things. So I like that you are adding an element of understanding the importance of a point. I do like that. Um, I, I like, cause I, I've done that before in the past as well. And I think there's a time and a place for it. So I, for me, this, this is my opinion completely, but okay. depending on the, the skill and depending on where you are as a team, there is, there is a time to make mistakes. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, you can't develop unless you make mistakes. So depending on the level and depending on where you are, sometimes, um, you know, I've had teams where I have, I avoid in practice when we're developing athletes to have a point system where you get, you give the other team a point or you get negative points by making errors. So if I'm in the development stage and coaches out there listening to this, if you're in the development stage, you had to be very careful because you want to promote positive learning. So if you're learning how to serve, for example, and you know, we're trying to develop the serve, there's going to be errors. There's going to be a ton of errors when you're developing serves. My thing is, as long as they're serving with a purpose, then it is okay to have those errors because they're not trying to make a mistake. They're actually, you know, serving with a purpose of whether they're rotating and, you know, they're trying to increase the speed of their serve, et cetera. But what I like about this is that you can, and this, and I'm, I'm thinking as I speak here, when I, when I want to implement something like this, it's going to be, you know, one practice, um, we're going to be like, all right, today or one drill, this is a drill that's going to put an emphasis on making sure you're swinging with intent, you're scoring with a purpose, and you're not creating unforced errors. Because unforced errors, by definition, is unforced errors. It has nothing to do with the other team. It's all to do with what you're doing. So by mm-hmm. awarding the other team points, when you commit an unforced error, I like that because it promotes and it, 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 it forces the athlete to swing with a purpose. Now, as coaches, I can tell you from my experience, when I've done this, it's important that your team doesn't start to play safe. Because that is not what we're trying to train. We're not trying to. We're not training training athletes to. Okay, I don't want to make. I don't want to get a uh, a hitting error. So I'm just gonna, you know, just hit it nice and easy over the net. So I don't commit an error. So the worst thing that you could fall into the trap of doing is playing not to win. Versus, you know, they, they know the whole saying. You 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 want to play to win. You don't want to play not to lose. I don't know if you ever heard, heard that story. So we don't want to play not to lose. We want to play to win. And if, if you, if you do this point system and you start seeing that the players start playing not to lose, then you're doing yourself a disservice and you don't want to do that at all because you're training the wrong thing. So we want our athletes to continue to go at it right now at the college level. It's a lot easier because you know, they're older players. They know, and they understand that. Yes, they're not going to lollipop it over because that doesn't serve a purpose. And I always tell my players, a serving error sucks. There's no doubt a serving error sucks. But what's worst than a serving error is a lollipop serve. And yeah. for those of you that don't know, a lollipop serve is a, is a serve that's very easy, where you know the other team is going to have a high chance of passing it. And what I, and I, this is what I hate when I hear coaches say this. There is a time and a place, but when, I, when coaches say, just get it over. Just get it over. Ooh. Like, don't worry, just, just get it over. And, and the worst thing about that is just getting it over, that just getting it over mentality is you are going to train bad habits for your servers, first of all. Second, you are now allowing a team to get an easy serve, which they're more than likely going to translate to a point, which is going to then shift momentum to the other team because now they scored, they have momentum, and now they're getting the ball back to then serve. So what you've done there was you lost a point, momentum shifted to the other side of the team, and you've trained your players to not train, not not to do their best serve. You can't do that. So Long story short, my take on this, this first set is, uh, is there's a time and a place. I love, I love the ideal of awarding, uh, of having a point system because I, I mean, my listeners know this, you can't grow what you can't measure. I, I wholeheartedly believe you cannot grow what you can't measure. So when you're training and you're practicing, you have to stat, you have to give points because then 
that numerical value is tangible. Players can understand what they're doing. They can understand where they stand and then they can go and improve upon that. They know what they got last week versus a week before versus whatever. And they can, you know, advance on that. So anyways, long story short, um, when you're doing this, a couple takeaways here. I love the point system. I love the ideal of formulating a practice like a game, like a five set match where you're now, your timeframes now are on the basis of what a match time frame would be. So it's really, really cool. And it can translate to me. Anyways, I, I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking here. I want you to continue. Uh, no, kind of you made on. two great points. The first I'll, I'll mention, I have in the things to note that um, feedback is key with this. After each set, you need to be using that three minutes to put things into perspective for the kids to talk about some things you saw in terms of their decision-making where you saw them being a little bit um, conservative. Um, and then going back to the serve, and I'll tell you my philosophy, it really bothers me when if my philosophy is serving deep and kids are missing out and I'm punishing them, well, that's not going to work. Right. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm a huge proponent of not punishing kids for serving out the back line. Um, if my philosophy is to serve, say, deep corners or deep seams. So you're absolutely correct. I do not penalize kids for serving uh, out the back line. And then you said something else. You said that we didn't want kids to play conservative. Um, so they're not, you know, they're playing so conservative, so they don't give points away. They need to be thinking about earning points, right? So getting to set, set two, when we talk about adjustments, and this is where coaches can be flexible, um, you might reward something like hitting line with two points, right? If you've got kids that are less likely to try it, you may reward that. You may reward uh, touches off the block with actual points. You know, yes. even if it's just a touch and not a stuff. So that's where you've got to be paying attention to your kids and how they're responding um, and being creative and not following this to a T, right? And I, I mentioned that several times throughout it. And I talked to a lot of the coaches in my network about uh, really catering it to, this is just a start, but you've got to cater to your team, their thought process. So said to option one, and this is if you aren't ready to play sets. Okay, I'm going to, sorry, sorry, one more thing. That, uh, before you get into sets, you, great point. I just want to add one thing. Um, I like what you said about giving points for block touches and things like that. So uh, even in our gym, when we are trying to, when we want to have a defensive mindset practice, we're trying to improve our block defense. What we'll do is we'll set up game simulations where you get a point for a block touch. You get a point for um, a, you get a point if you get a block touch and convert that point. You get a bonus point for that. You get yeah. two points for a stuff block. So now we're giving more points and we're putting an emphasis on the defensive end, which will then encourage your players and promote that you know that style of play. And then it gives them that. See, it's different when you kind of like um, we're saying the same thing when you award points for certain things that's what you're, you're training it essentially and you're putting more emphasis on it so they're going to end up doing it more the last the last thing i'll say before we get it said too um when it comes to serve receive one thing to know coaches when if a if a player aces if a player gets an ace you reward the ace you don't reward the serve receive because it's not a serve receive error okay so if, if, if a server serves and the passer shanks the ball we don't we don't discourage the serve by awarding an error to the passer, we encourage the serve. So we, if, this is strictly practice. So you mm. would, you would give the, you would award the point to the other team that got the ace 
and you would not you would not treat this as an unforced error because it wasn't an unforced error. It was a great serve, um, and because you know they they had a serve, you would call it a serve receive error per se. Yeah, you can say that, but you would ultimately award the server. So just that last note there to, to keep in consideration when you're doing your um, your point systems. I All love right. that. Awesome. So set two. Um, if you're just gonna drill, or maybe you're working in small groups and you can't scrimmage, I I have a drill here: twenty five serves in a row. You know, um, and maybe you stat them out of 15, you know, out of 25, 15 need to go to zone one and zone five, right? Which is going to reiterate a rule that I have um, later on if you play this as a set. You also might work with your middle blockers on transitioning and running a B331, whatever you call it, um, off of a bad pass. So one of the things that I would add as an adjustment in set two, if my outside hitters were being blocked because a middle was cheating and I say, well, we're not passing well. So my middles are being taken out, right? Then as a result, I'd use that 20 minutes that would be set two to work on my middles being able to be set from a ball that's between eight and 12 feet, a ball that traditionally they just don't even open up and, you know, get ready for it. And my setter is not even looking to get them the ball. So I'd use that. Having that information, I'd understand that it has to do with our passing, right? And I probably passed before practice and talked through that. There's a chance that I did. Or I can use this time to work on passing. But I can also use this time to work on my middles being available, all right? Creating a path um, so they can be set something instead of forcing it to the pins um and then i would give that you know you could give that a numbering system or you can just really slow down and teach it and work through the angles and show them how they can create the space and the time to get a set so the first thing working on them serving a certain zone totally mental discipline puts the pressure on hey guys we got 25 serves 15 need to go to zone one Static, we're going to look at it. Then we're going to talk about um, some of the issues with them getting the ball to zone one. Maybe they're serving from five to one. Maybe they're going one to, you know, I'm sorry, from five to one or one to one. We talk about what's high percentage, some things they need to tweak, where they're facing, where they finish. You get a chance to teach a little bit here um, on how they can execute those things better. And that can go anywhere. That's just two examples of what I would do. But that list is infinite. I hope that just gets the ball rolling. You probably can think of some stuff right now. But if you decide to do a set, all right, six on six to 25, a rule might be servers must serve zone one or five. If someone serves another zone, play can continue, but a point goes to the other team. Um, the second rule I might add, again, if the outs outside hitters can't be set, right? So if my outside hitter is set, play can continue, a point will be given to the other team. Um, so those are two very basic rules I would add at the high school level where kids, setters are comfortable, oh, I'm just going to send it out. So that worked at my level, even I was, I'm lower level division one, that was the same thing that um, happened when I got here. It was like, so, oh, it's right. So basically in set two, 
we're now focusing more on certain aspects of the game, like serving or attacking and whatever. So if you're going to choose option one, which is a drill base. So if you're, if you're doing a, if you're doing the five set practice plan where you're just focusing on drills, then this would be a drill situation where you focus on a drill that you're working on, like serving or, or attacking out of the middle, for example. If you're choosing option two, which we're continuing to play an actual five set match, then in the second set, there's parameters um, that require players to do certain things. So like, for example, we're, we're, if we're trying to serve to zone one and five, that is a parameter that they have to do. And that's providing that that's what your team is working on. So I like this. So set two is what you, is, is working on, you know, certain aspects of your team that you need to work on as, as a whole. Yeah, weaknesses that you've weaknesses, identified. Right. Yeah, any right. weakness you've identified um, throughout the season. So early in the season, you may start here because you can pretty much predict what's going to be an issue. You know your kids, you know the ones that are risk takers, you know the middle that is creative and she's always going to find a way to be available. You know the middle that's going to shy away from, well, that was a bad pass. I knew they weren't going to me anyway. I didn't even transfer, you know. Right. So you got to you start learning your kids. That's a great place to start because traditionally that's what will happen. A team starts going outside and it's like, okay. <laughs> right. So that's a great place to start. Um, and then we know zone five and one, uh, especially one's a great place to serve. Um, if you're dealing with a high, a lower level setter, kind of serving over there. So that's set two. Again, feedback, feedback, feedback is super important. That's going to sell this to the kids. You're taking score, right? You've got, you can show them in black and white in numbers. Um, hey, this is what's going on. This is a trend for you. This is a trend for us. Um, and then talking them through um, what they're thinking uh, when they make certain decisions. So set three, which could be a final set. If you win three in a row or if you play in a league, that's two out of three. This is it. So my thought was, how do we go in and either crush people because we're already up and dominating them? Or how do we come back? We're down uh, 2-0 and we're trying to come back, right? So some things I thought that needed to be consistent were your serve-receive. Because even if your hitters are struggling, and we know offense wins volleyball sets. I found that out in my research, too. The volleyball is very much so offensive. It's not like most of the sports they say, but defense wins championships. <laughs> right. You got you to gotta score in volleyball. So I want to put that out there. You absolutely scoring wins. It's an offensive uh, game. But for set three... I thought serve-receive, um, there's nothing worse than when you're up on somebody and their serve-receive does not take a dip. It, it, it kind of wears you down. Your kids are um, giving it everything they got. They're putting balls away. They're blocking balls left and right. And people's serve-receive is on point. They won't go away. And right. I, I think, um, you know, it forces kids to really be in it for the long haul, really buy into the process. Um, and you you got to do the right thing over and over again, right? It really wears you down. And I think when your serve-receive is well, kids and coaches start trying to take some risk with serving. And right. then you're going to get that. And then you're going to get an error, right? They're, they're going to get, they're going to start taking some risk because, you know, you're everywhere. You're trying to serve short seam, deep seam, right. and they're passing and so you start doing some things that your team may not be comfortable with because you're trying to just get an edge. Um, so that was something I observed. So if you're just drilling, um, 
I put team serving again, 15 in a row over and in. If you're advanced, 15 in a row to position five, 15 in a row to position one, 15 in a row to position two. All right. So if you're dealing with some kids that are ready to have some pressure and advance a little bit, you can give, give them to zones. Then there's the blocking gauntlet for all blockers. And that is, this is a conditioning drill mostly. Um, hitters are hitting on a box, say, um, maybe, what would I say, 12 to 15 feet apart, kind of left front, right front. One blocker is kind of blocking back and forth. Yep. Um, and they've got to stuff eight to 10 balls, depending on the level. Um, and so this is conditioning. This is them getting square each time. It's a, it's a hustling drill, just getting there. Um, and so that drill is number one, we can work on conditioning, you know, getting square, getting your shoulders around, even when you're tired, that's just the goal there. Um, and so that's a drill that I would implement at that point in practice. By right. now, you've been going about 50 minutes to an hour. Right. That's interesting. So, so one thing I'd say about, about the blocking, I, I like that. I like the, I like the, actually, I, I actually like that drill. Um, the only thing I'd be weary of is making sure that the blockers are still being explosive through the motion. Um, vertical jump principle here. If you know, the, you, you can like long distance running, for example, it decreases your vertical. Okay. I don't know if anyone knows that, but long distance running decreases your vertical. So we have to apply that same philosophy in practice. We want to work on our, our fast twitch fibers. So when it comes to block drills and jumping in general, um, I would say no more than eight to 10 reps. Yeah. Um, I would say, and then regardless, like the goal is obviously to stuff block, you know, whatever your goal is, whether it's eight stuff blocks or six stuff or 10 balls, but we want to make sure we, if, even if we don't hit that goal of eight stuff blocks, we don't hurt the athlete by having them continue to do 15 to 20 jumps Correct. because we, right. we don't want to one overtraining and two, it's going to decrease your vertical, which we don't want to do. So yeah, I just want to throw that Absolutely. in there. Oh yeah. I've had to step in and just have discretion and say, okay, you're good. Um, yeah, exactly. and, and that's the goal, get what you want out of, that's one of those where it goes back to the information I learned about how long a rally is. So when the kid starts going and they're getting into the two minute mark, they're never going to be jumping and changing direction for two minutes in this game. Right. right. You know, it's just very unlikely. I think I watched a rally the other day, a minute and 15. I was like, whoo, this is long. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. when, um, and I, I'm a start, I'm a certified, um, speed and agility and I, it was important to me to have that. I had some general nice. knowledge, but I, I encourage more volleyball coaches to be, become well-versed in a lot of the, the science. Um, but you're absolutely right. Thank you for imparting that. So yeah, so that your blockers are working on that and that could be subbed out for a passing drill. That's very similar. A kid starts to get a little tired. They still got to be efficient. Um, you're going to talk to them about, you know, early angles on the, you know, early platform, and you'll get to reiterate all that good stuff, things that break down when you're tired, weight distribution when you're passing, you know, so you don't start passing to yourself. Or right. <laughs> so, same way I have blocking in there. If your team, there's more of a your passers need that that work, then you'd input a passing drill. And then the third thing I have is you would do um, serve-receive. So I generally do three people back. Um, and then a catcher, which might be myself, a coach, another coach or a player or a manager. And that team has, the rest of the girls are serving. 
Everybody stays for two minutes, 30 seconds. Serving side, passing side, one catcher. And they've got to serve as many three balls, uh, 25 three-rated passes in a row. I'm sorry, as many as they can in two minutes, 30 seconds. Got it. I love that drill. Um, and then you, you'd get everybody a chance to go over and serve, receive, and everybody gets a chance to serve. Um, and again, just making sure kids are accountable servers when they miss out. They don't have a consequence service when they miss in the net. They they stop and do something real quick. Maybe push up five push-ups, maybe a couple burpees. Um, just holding themselves accountable and always remembering our goal uh, and staying focused. So that's a serve-receive drill. Puts a little pressure on. You can even, the three people that come over, their whole team, and they can compete with the next team. So I have kids, you know, come over and they get it in two minutes, two seconds. And I'm like, the next team's got to beat this. The next team got to beat that. So incorporating competition, but working on a specific skill. And I use the three rating, the three, the one, two, three uh, passing framework. Right. Um, I think there's a couple out there, right? <laughs> there's four. There is just I, four and three, I think, are the main ones. But yeah, I, I, I use a three passing framework as well. Okay. Okay. And so I have that link in the ebook for folks to just click on it in case that's not familiar. So if you decided to do a set, if you if you were you're advancing, you guys are doing a set, this is set three for you. You'd set the clock at 20 minutes, you'd scrimmage, and with the following rules or parameters. Two points will go to the other team again for unforced errors, plus one for three level passes. A three like rating that. pass gets a plus one. And I love that because when I first brought that to the college level, um, your liberos, you know, they know they need to, they, we need a pass and we're going to hit. But seeing them light up and understand they could earn a point was just, it, it really placed a lot more importance on their job. Um, they were excited to have some share of the score because it doesn't always show up how well they play or, you know, their contribution. So they get a one uh, for three rated passes. And then plus two for stuff blocks, which again, I think are momentum changers. If you're down and you're trying to come back and win a set because you're down two, and your girls come out or your players come out stuff blocking, it, it really tells the other team you're not going away, right? So I, I give like it that. plus two because it earns a point, but what it does for the momentum is worth a point. It's worth a point, and you got to ride that um, and hopefully earn some more points. I like that. So that was my thought process with that. Um, obviously, I at the time, I was dealing with high school kids, and a stuff block is everything. <laughs> right, right. And what happened consequently is that did we get a lot of them? Maybe one or two. But did we get kids touching more balls and really locking in on their job and having some pride and right. being the first line of defense? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's my spill on step three. <laughs> All right. We got two more. I'm not going to add anything to that because that was that was cool. I, I like the I like the, the number system there. Okay. We got two more sets to go. So again, just to remind you guys, uh, this is, you know, the five set practice plan where we're trying to create more game like in our practice so that we can, you know, increase performance in a game. So we have two more sets. Uh, all right, Tamika, set four. How does set four look? Okay. Set four. Um, when I started thinking about set four for people that go five, um, it came down to teams who were disciplined. 
And um, when I think about this, when I think about teams that are not releasing before they see a set, right? You know, so not getting beat by set or dumps. Um, getting to the right spot, uh, stuff like that. So let's look at option one. So option one, I had quite a few drills you could, I probably gave the most options for drills. Just so, give a couple. Okay. You can work your outside hitters versus your um, right side blockers. So this is a drill where set four, I believe, again, is about kids being in a little bit of volleyball shape as well. You're right. You start getting the set four, you're all worked up. So I thought about kids generally start getting used. They're floating, they're guessing on the spot, um, all that stuff. So I have a drill where, say, your outside hitters are hitting against a right side blocker and each outside's trying to get five points. And so this is me trying to get my offense, my outside hitters, to understand how to use the right side blocker. So I'm going to reward them when the right side blocker gets a touch, right? So they're going through hitting balls, a group of them, you know, off a set, and they earn two points for using a blocker. I'm sorry, two points for... Two points for uses, which is the goal. I want them to get used to uses. I want them to see the blocker. And they get one point for getting stuck. And an outside hitter is trying to get five total points to get out of the drill. And um, I, I, allow, I allow right sides to do it as well. And I allow left side. You know, they go against them as well. But it really helps my kids. Um, the first step, I think, to teaching kids how to use is to get them to understand, you know, to understand what they're looking at. Right. And so without any explanation at all, a kid problem solves. When they're completely missing the blocker and swinging around them, right. they naturally, you don't have to say much initially. And it's not too much technical. They literally, oh, I just need to, I can't hit what I can't see. I need to find a way to see their hands. And so we work on using, uh, which offensively we think is an advantage for us if the other team isn't being disciplined. And right. Um, another serve receive drill called 21 and that's where each kid I have a demo of that each kid is trying to get 21 themselves using the 321 rating system mm -hmm. um, I love that uh, so let's look at a set set yep. four here's the point system so six on six again the 25 setter dumps are plus two, right? Setter scores on a dump, it's plus two. Aces, plus two. Uses off the block, plus two. And then if the other team serves in the net, plus two. And my rationale was setter dumps again, um, kids are cheating off the base or kids are being lazy with their defensive sequence, you know, kind of skipping a step. Right, going straight to oh, she's gonna set somebody and just kind of just grazing over that possibility that she can dump, which is discipline. Right, every single time you gotta assume that she she'll be able to he'll she or he he or she will be able to set. So there's a discipline piece. Aces again. Um, I think of a kid being ace, just not being locked in. Yep. Um, 
just really not being locked in. I mean, to see an ace late in the game when you've seen a server already like 10 times is like pretty checked out. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yep. Yeah. Wait a minute. This, we've already seen this kid. There's no way they ace, right? Maybe you shank because you stand up or something, a late platform. But an ace? No. Yep. <laughs> uses, uses off the block. Um, again, to keep my hitters disciplined. So it works both ways. I'm the block because I'm over both scrimmage teams, right? Both of these are my team. My blockers are working on being square, pressing over, not moving. Right. And then my hitters are working on even late in the game, even if you have been just dominating this girl, that every time you are looking for the block, you aren't taking the block for granted. Again, discipline. And then serves in the net, which again, my fourth set, unless you're just bringing somebody in off the bench, my servers have served a gazillion times by now, right? Stay mm -hmm. focused, get, the, get a great toss, get the ball in. So that's set four. And last then, set? Yep, set five. Here we go. Last set. Nice. And, and I'll be super short because it reiterates some of the things that we talked about in set three because both right. can be the final. Um, so in terms of drilling, again, doing team serving in a row, if you're at the lower levels, 15 in a row, over and in, advance to zones if they're more advanced, the blocking gauntlet again, so I think I had the same stuff, um, but the set to 50, it's a set to 15. And I even said, because it'll go so fast, you could do the best two out of three. You could do three sets to 15. You just created a whole nother game within a, mm -hmm. within a set. Kind of set yeah. Um, yeah, because it'll go really fast. And so again, it's plus two to the other team for unforced errors. Plus one for perfect passes, plus two for stuff blocks. Um, and then a coach should definitely add in if they've lost a couple of five setters to set matches. I remember we started the season, we lost five, five set matches, five different ways. Right. <laughs> Crazy. Um, here's where you you have the opportunity to add in some of those things. And you, I would guarantee you some of the things that are important in set four are super important in set five, especially right. in terms of discipline, in terms of discipline, right? People dumping late that hadn't dumped all match instead right. of coming out <laughs> dumping because we said, hey, they don't, that option's off the table. They hadn't done that. But right. discipline tells us we, we've still got to consider it, you know, every single time the defensive sequence starts over, we can't miss that they have that option. So, yeah, definitely a lot of stuff in step four can come over to step five. Um, so that that's it. Big things. The feedback is the most important factor. Asking the right questions. I talked to my coaching network a lot about that. Asking higher level thinking questions. Um, I ask kids all the time, you know, what's most uncomfortable for you? Uh, and you're going to see once you start putting, attaching points and scoring to their decision making, um, you're going to start to see what's still very uncomfortable for kids in terms of their, their duty and their role um, right. for their position. So right. question asking is super duper important. Feedback reviewing the stats and pivoting 
<laughs> you know, not being afraid to change this whole thing up when you need to, um, not being scared to go away from something you previously thought was an issue or an important factor and realizing that it's not. So that's right. my feel. <laughs> wow, this is amazing. So let me just recap real quick. So basically we have, um, you know, we're, we're trying to solve the problem of, you know, practicing versus games, increasing that performance, making sure that we whatever we're doing in practice, we're translating into a game, which is a big problem that coaches have. And so Tamika, you, you created this five set practice plan, which basically mimics a game in practice where you can set up various situations and put your athletes in various situations that hopefully, you know, at, with more practice and with more, um, with the, with the more, with the more they're, they're actually participating in these things, um, it will put them in a much better position to perform in practice. And you've done that with a variety of different ways. You've done it where every single, where you come into practice, you do your warm up, and then you start set one. So we're treating it like the set, the same time we're at, it's all time. So the same time limit as set one, and you can do one of two options. You can actually do a six on six game, or you can perform a drill. Um, with the parameters of it's 20 minutes and you have certain things you have there. Then you do the exact same thing for set two, set three, set four, set five, but there's different focuses in each set, in each drill, you know, um, in, in, in set two, for example, you're focused more on whatever your weaknesses are as a team uh, and so forth. So it's interesting how you've set up each of the sets. And I think that listeners, you're going to have to go back and re-listen to this episode because it, it was it was quite a long one, um, but there's a lot of information in there. And what I like too is, um, not only are you going to get value out of the fact that we're setting up a five set, uh, practice plan, but just the way that Tamika described how she keeps score and the type of drill she does that in itself is a, is some cool value that you could take away and apply to your team. Um, I know that it brings me back to, you know, why I started doing it in the first place of keeping score, like, you know, scoring, if we're trying to work on a certain aspect of the game, we may reward like blocking, for example, we will we'll reward points for block touches, stuff, blocks, stuff like that. So I, I definitely think that there's a ton of value um, in this. And I love the, the five-step planning process. I'm going to coaches. The only way to see if it works for you is to try it out for yourself. You got to try it out in your gym, try it out with your team and see how that works and see if it translates. Uh, Tamika, if um, for our listeners, is there, if they want to get in contact with you, you know, how can they do that? Uh, where can they learn more and stuff like that? Okay, so you can find the ebook at TamikaNewman.com. So that's my first name, last name.com. We'll definitely I'm link on, it in the show notes. Yes, I'm on Instagram at Tamika.r.newman underscore GGA. I'm also on Twitter um, at grit, G R I T underscore LLC. So yeah, I'm pretty active on both of those. Um, you can find me there. And uh, there's a place to send me some feedback on the website and I'll get back with you very quickly. <laughs> okay, great, great. Well, thanks so much to me. I appreciate it. This was great. This is a great in-depth analysis of, um, of a, a really cool approach to really setting up your practice to, you know, hopefully prepare them better for, for games. Um, now, this isn't something you're going to do every practice, coaches, all right? This is not something every you're going to do this. When you can, uh, you know, work on your development, work on your other stuff, have your seasonal planning done. But this is something to throw into your seasonal planning as well as, as a practice day to have this done. All right. So, Tamika, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. And for our listeners, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. We'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks. All right. Cue the music. Look. 
Are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training and instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days? When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.